Hello, and we're live with JavaScript Air. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Kent C. Dodds, and I am on site at FluentConf. Uh, we're, I, I'm giving a couple of talks here and um, just experiencing the wonderfulness that is FluentConf. And uh, we have several people from the conference uh, organizers as well as uh, speakers who will be joining us for uh, today's show. So before we get too far into that, I just want to uh, call out that uh, we do have a show next week. It's going to be with um, Julie about uh, Protractor and end-to-end -end testing in general. Really looking forward to that. Um, I'm a big fan of testing. And uh, yeah, and that, that will be at the normal time uh, on Wednesday at 12 p.m. CST. And um, for our sponsors, we have a a bunch of sponsors that are making some really awesome things possible for the show. One thing in particular I'm really looking forward to is um, having a weekly newsletter that I'll send our, our show notes. And so if you want to sign up for that, um, we haven't actually set that up yet, but there's a Google form you can go to if you go to jsair.io slash email, and you can sign up to be on that newsletter once we get that, that rolling. Um, and so for some of the sponsors, our premier sponsor is Egghead.io. They're uh, bite-sized videos about uh, JavaScript in the web platform. Uh, super, super awesome. Um, and then uh, Frontend Masters is another great sponsor. They're expert-led recorded workshops. Um, check them out for great training on JavaScript topics. And uh, Track.js will uh, find bugs in your code before your customers even notice them. So um, yeah, check out Track.js to keep track of your bugs in your JavaScript. Um, of course, none of you write bugs, I'm sure. So maybe you don't need that, but just kidding. Um, and then CodeCove.io is another sponsor. They're fantastic, um, really great for um, measuring coverage in your um, uh, in your testing. They integrate really well with GitHub. So check CodeCove.io out to. Uh, uh, see what they can do for you for your coverage. And then WallabyJS is a fantastic, super fast test runner that runs right in your IDE and gives you instant feedback as you're changing your code. It's very cool. So definitely check them out. And uh, that's our sponsors. So um, I, I just want to first, before I, we invite our first guests on, um, Fluent is a conference um, uh, created by O'Reilly about the web platform. And they have a bunch of trainings and uh, sessions and keynotes. Um, it's a really exciting conference. There are a bunch of people here. And so we're going to first invite our uh, um, some conference organizers uh, onto the show with us. So um, yeah, we have uh, Peter here. Hello, hello. How's it going? And Simon. Hi there. Great. Thank you very much for coming on, both uh, Simon and Peter. Um, we're uh, really excited to have you on the show. I'm super pumped uh, about this conference. It's a lot of fun. Um, so far, it's been great. So can you give us a little bit of background uh, first to kind of introduce yourselves, and then we can talk a little bit about the conference. Why don't we have you go? First, Peter. Okay. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to let you know the the URL you gave earlier was wrong. If you want to sign up for email, it's javascriptweekly.com. Just uh, oh right. Yeah. yeah. Is that okay? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I guess that's probably where I'm best known. Just in case anyone's watching this, I'm you know do JavaScript Weekly. But um, yeah, I'm also the co-chair of Fluent. Um, the whole kind of goal originally with Fluent was to be a purely JavaScript conference originally. Um, but we decided to extend it when we found so many proposals were coming in about. Uh, HTML5, uh, web audio API, WebGL, that type of thing. We decided to expand it to be the web platform because that seemed to be the way things were going. It wasn't just JavaScript; it was the whole thing. Um, so that's how we took it, and uh, now we kind of pitch it as being a 
we, we kind of wobble, don't we, from be, being a JavaScript event to being a web platform one because the, the term web platform didn't catch on perhaps the way it should have. Um, but that's kind of what we do. We, we provide the whole platform, the whole experience. Perhaps you know, Simon can expand on that. Sure. I'm uh, Simon St. Laurent. I co-chair with Peter and I work at O'Reilly. Um, I work on all kinds of things that are web-related at O'Reilly, whether it's books or this conference or uh, videos, many, many different pieces. Uh, Fluent is kind of the capstone. It's where we bring together lots of people who are in all of these conversations. And I think part of why we had to step back from it just being JavaScript is that JavaScript is stuck to everything else in a really big way. Um, even at our first uh, first event, there was a talk on, you don't need a framework for that. And a lot of it wasn't even just, you can use CSS for that instead of JavaScript. Why are you trying to script something that's built in with hardware acceleration? So these pieces all kind of go together naturally. Um, it's it's great to bring together the different stories and let them bounce off each other and not just the talks but really the the people mm. the the hallway track the the kinds of conversations you get here are really what make me excited very cool yeah i um i actually share the um uh, or what you're talking about with it not just being about JavaScript, but the web in general. Um, the same thing goes with uh, JavaScript error. So I, I call it JavaScript error, but it actually is you know a, about uh, the web platform in addition to JavaScript. And so the name kind of confuses some people. We're going to actually have Jen Kramer on uh, in a little bit. And she was like, you know, I'm not a JavaScript person, right? And I said, yeah, that's great. It, it's the web platform. So you're, you're totally good there. Register web platform error. All right, awesome. Actually, uh, somebody has asked me if they can start a React error because there's an oh. Angular error that I started um, a year ago. And I was like, yeah, totally do it. Like, and that's one of the things that I love about our community is that, and events like this, is that um, our, our community is like a, a candle. Like, each one of us has a candle. And if we, you know, in, in sharing the flame of our candle, we're not actually diminishing ourselves at all. We're just making the entire room brighter. Um, and so that's that's one of the beautiful things about uh, events like this where we can share that. So what, what are some of the, your favorite parts about this event? Um, oh, so we go along the line again. Um, yeah, one of the things that I really focus on, I'm really interested in, are the social events. So some of the hallway track stuff, uh, the meetups that we're running downstairs, I mean, even things like this you know, doing this type of thing and having people come in and speak, it just makes it a richer experience. Um, so yeah, while there's content that I like, I don't get to see a lot of it. I've been discussing this with people. I don't get to see a lot of the talks because I'm too busy making sure everything's running okay and handling some of the social stuff and, you know, doing interviews like this and so on. Um, but that's what I like. That's what I get the most out of. And it was, if I was an attendee, I would kind of be here for the social aspect of it and to kind of network and see people that, you know, I know and respect. Um, that's just my perspective on it. Yeah, I love the social side of it. I'm probably more focused on the, the training side of it. So we've always had a strong tutorial day. Like that was, I, I remember coming here and just marveling on the tutorial day that it felt like the entire conference had already started because so many people had signed up for it that. It's almost everyone, isn't it? It's a lot, yeah. Um, the registration folks were like, this is different. <laughs> um, this year we took that further. We did these two-day intensive training things on the front. Um, that's you know, pushing it further. I hope that people come out of those, you know, with lots of things that they've learned. I also hope they still come out with the energy to, to, to have the social conversations about what they've done that actually make it stick and make it useful. So yeah. uh, we're trying to balance this kind of 
content story with the, the people story and make sure that they reinforce each other. Very good. I think you've described exactly what my favorite part of uh, conferences are as well. Is it's the the talks um, they do and, and they should go up on online afterward, right? And so like we we can go and experience those. And there is something to be said about being present at the talks. But what I really love about conferences is is meeting new people and and you know people that I I've known on Twitter for you know years and whatever and and never met in real life and being able to meet them in real life at venues like this and um, and then also like the diversity that you get around. Around a conference is, is something that's really exciting. Um, so, what what are some of the things that you uh, do specifically to encourage um, people to do uh, networking? So, like, what are some of the hallway events that you're talking about? Okay, I'd have to bring up the list to remember them all because we we, re <laughs> we we really do have quite a few. Um, but there's a few notable ones. So, one actually isn't even run by us. It's uh, run by Suzanne Axtell at uh, O'Reilly because it's one of her favorite things to do, which is speed networking. Mm -hmm. So, as I came down the elevator today, um, I got out and it was just like the biggest roar I could hear. It's like, Rrr. and I thought, why can I hear this noise so far up into the event? Like, I thought literally there were like thousands of people down here. Um, but it turns out there was a whole line of chairs outside this room, in fact, uh, where people were sat like you know facing each other, and then they move along like one one per minute, so they kind of have to introduce each other. Now, for something that happens at like eight thirty in the morning, that's a bit too intense for me. Like I would rather <laughs> I would rather do that a bit later in the day, especially if I was slightly intoxicated. It might be slightly better. Um, but people were really getting into it. It's really loud and noisy. So there's that type of social event. Um, but then we also have like actual meetups on site. So we've got about eight this year on different topics like React, Angular, you know, again, like some of the, the buzzwords that we've been describing, um, just because that's what people want to get together and talk about. So I've just come out of one actually that was all about Electron, um, which is the, the GitHub created thing that kind of powers um, their Atom editor. And I think Slack uses it on Windows as well. Um, but we had people turn up. So we had like Alex Russell from Google turned up. Um, just kind of randomly, um, we had some guy who who did. So you, one of your sponsors, is Egghead, uh, someone that apparently has done an electron course for them, or is in the process of doing one. Um, so there you go, plug, plug. Um, <laughs> but like literally, he just turned up in the middle of it, and we because we have an MC who's helping thread these conversations together. So we actually have a you know a comedian here who's actually helping like be the kind of the social catalyst between these people. Um, we got to have a lot more knowledge come out than you would if it was perhaps a one-to-many type talk. And I think that is the real advantage. If you can get the social aspects right, as long as it's not just, oh, let's go and drink and talk. If it's something that can be recorded and perhaps turned even into an artifact some way, so like what you're doing here with you know these live shows, um, it has a lot of value to take home. Um, but I don't think every conference has figured it out, and we really haven't entirely figured it out either. Um, but we have numerous events, you know, that kind of tie into that. We have like a speaker's reception and, um, you know, the, we have the tribe tables at lunch. So the tribe tables are where you have lunch tables, but they each have a little topic. So a little sign, um, it'll say like PHP or JavaScript or Ember or Angular or whatever. And if you're interested in that topic, you go there and chat. But I mean, I've just scratched the surface. Uh, maybe you can remember some more. I can't. Well, we have office hours as well, don't we? So and book signings and stuff. So we, we try and invest a lot into doing this stuff. I mean, I think a lot of it for me is that it's a lot of conferences you go and you sort of listen, you're talked at, and, you know, kind of classic lecture, maybe I'm taking notes to make sure that it stays in my head. But I find it sticks together way better if you have the chance to either talk with the person who was speaking or talk with other people who are in your class or, you know, kind of like in that community meetup, just marvel at people who turn up in the conversation. Random and, moments. Yeah. Busy. 
Yeah. And I also like the space. It's, it's, we're in a basement. Okay. But it's a very coherent space. And there's like a set of tables up at the top of the escalators. And I just like, every time I walk by there, either I'm seeing people and getting pulled over or I'm seeing other people having these same kinds of things. So when you put the right people in the room, magical things happen. Just a tip for the future. If you could ever do this in a kind of more of a mobile setting, so you can actually like walk around and look, because it'd be so great to get out of this room and just look outside where what Simon's just said is going on. Like it's all tables outside this room, um, and just go along and just kind of pick on people. I think that would be hilarious. But that's just that's just that's just my attitude. Like I, I just love to go up to people. So I'm probably gonna be on Periscope later. Um, so if anyone you know is like on Twitter or whatever, just follow me, Peter C. P E T E R C. If you're watching this live, of course. Um, I might go on Periscope and kind of just shove it in a few faces, you know? Yeah, it's like, hey, you're live. Um, I hope you're okay with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I actually, so I, I've done this uh, live conference thing before, and at one of the conferences, I actually lifted up my laptop and like took it around places. That was yeah. kind of interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, very cool. So um, I, I really actually, I really appreciate all of the effort that you're putting into to help uh, the attendees uh, like learn about each other and and uh, like learn from each other's experiences, um, and I think that other conferences should really follow suit. Um, is there anything else that like if somebody's watching this, they're thinking about putting on a conference, or they or or they are putting on a conference? Any takeaways that you, or learnings that you get from putting on a conference that you would you know give to them? Well, I think one thing to keep in mind is that the gaps matter. It's the program is central, but figuring out how people have time to process it is a really helpful thing. Um, we've done these like 30 minute sessions with 15 minutes in between. And the 15 minutes in between seems to spark a lot of conversations, a lot of other possibilities. Um, having spaces for people to, to find each other, to congregate. Um, that's not the usual conference organizer story. It's usually I've got to find these people and make these things go. And that's all true, it's great. But also make sure there's room for these side stories. Very good. Awesome. So uh, with the last minute or two that we have, I'd like to just open it wide open to you to tell us about anything you'd like. You can tell us your dog's name or just keep it PG, please. <laughs> just <laughs> I was actually going to say this is live, so could I curse? But so I guess we're not in England anymore, so um, we can't. I don't have a dog, so I can't do that one. But I was wondering, are we allowed to talk about, I mean, the, the dates have been up everywhere about Amsterdam. Yeah, so one of the things that you know, perhaps he's relevant because you, obviously you're going to have a lot of people around the world watching this, not just in the US. Yeah, exactly. um, we are bringing Fluent to Amsterdam, we're bringing it to Europe essentially, um, and that's going to be in November uh, 9 for 11. It's kind of on the tail end of the Velocity conference as well. Yeah. So it's not just, you know, us. Uh, there's going to be two conferences in the same space because we share a lot of exhibitors and, you know, even attendees. Um, so put that on your calendar, November 9 for 11. Uh, it's going to be in Amsterdam. We've seen the venue. You know, we've been to the venue before. Done events there. It's absolutely fantastic. Food was superb, wasn't it? Yes, yes. I actually now I'm very hungry. Um, <laughs> the other thing I wanted to mention about that is that the call for proposals will open in the next few weeks. So be looking for that as well. Come and speak. <laughs> very great. Um, so thank you very much for coming onto the show. I really appreciate all that you've done to put on this conference. I'm. Obviously, you're not the only ones working on this conference. You have, I'm yeah. sure there are a lot of people that you'd like to thank. Um, but you put on a really wonderful conference, and, and people like me are very grateful for that. So thank you. Great. Thank you very much. I hope all the rest of your guests are as good as us. <laughs> I'm sure they will be. Thank Humble you. Humble brag. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, I was just waving goodbye. Yeah, know. yeah, yeah. All right, Jen. Um, so uh, our next guest is Jen Looper.
and she has some fun IoT stuff, right? brought my show and tell oh, so I'm so come excited. on have a seat I'm gonna move this a little bit great I love that that ng conf charger a little plug for ng conf we're gonna actually be there and just not so long actually we better get ready for it but uh, yeah so this is the biggest and kind of <laughs> clunkiest charger I could find I just couldn't find my other one but it, it does power up the device that's all I need so perfect yeah I, I have one myself and it's amazing so <laughs> if you can go to ng conf and, and convince them to do that again that'd be awesome <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, Jen, why don't you talk with us uh, or give us a quick introduction to yourself and then um, we can talk about what you're talking about. Okay, cool. Well, my name's Jen Looper and I'm here. I flew in from Boston and I'm still jet lagged, so I'll try to be coherent. But um, I'm a developer advocate at Telerik and I've been there for about a year and a half and it's been a blast. I love it because I can come and speak to um, awesome people like you and um, just learn and, and speak and talk to people at the booth and it's just a blast. I love it to death. Cool. So do I. Uh, that's great. <laughs> we share a lot of things in common here. Uh, cool. So can you uh, talk with us about your like what you're talking about and you know why you're so passionate about it? Sure. Okay. Um, so I, um, I think a lot of software engineers, sometimes they start getting a little a little tired of always having their fingers on the keyboard and tinkering around with that sort of thing. And a lot of us are sort of leaning into the direction of hardware and trying to find interesting software integrations for all the new and interesting hardware that we now have available at a very affordable price. And it's, very, it's kind of omnipresent and it's very cool to, to hack and to tinker with. And it's also a great way to, to teach um, and to learn um, new programming languages. You can use Cylon.js. It's maybe a good way to learn JavaScript as well. You can make things move with it. You know, This is kind of my perspective. Um, but I'm here um, giving a talk about the something really cutting edge, which is the use of the physical web and the um, introduction of the Eddystone beacon protocol. So what I created is um, an interesting little hardware integration that would be useful in a cultural site. So what I did is I installed these treasure boxes in um, in the Wellesley College greenhouses right next to the sensitive plant. And I created a website about the sensitive plant so that when you are beckoned by this beacon that's installed in this box, to approach the box, approach the sensitive plant, the Eddystone beacon sends out a URL. You press, you you are opening the URL on your phone, and you're um, educated about um, this this cultural artifact or this. It's just a sensitive plant, but we're not gonna let's not let's not split hairs, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and it's just been a really fun um, integration. And the other thing about this is, since it's a box, you can use it. You can use your phone to open it, and inside you get a little treat. Um, but the physical web is um, is just a, a great way to avoid having to build a mobile app. You basically are able to simply, instead of pushing out a UUID to a user, which in, which you're going to need a mobile app to consume, you're just pushing out a URL. So you um, can really just use the web to um, interface with your world in a completely new and different way. I'll give you this thing yeah. so that I can... <laughs> so what I'm doing here is I'm opening up my Today widget. I'm trying to anyway. And it's looking, it's listening for this beacon here. There's actually a couple beacons. Yeah, and it just found treasure boxes. So I'm gonna press on that, it opens, and I'm gonna go ahead and open the box. And you can, you heard it just opened. Yeah, we just heard it open. And it just opened, and inside I have some some seeds, and you're certainly uh, free to take one. <laughs> so this would be a way that you wow. can. Wow. It's actually little wild, wildflower seeds, so. <laughs> oh, very cool, I just got a present on JavaScript Air. Yay, Thank you. and I can close the box. 
And this is just a, oops, I should open it if I want to show what's inside. <laughs> so what it is, is it's a photon, which is a Wi-Fi connected microprocessor connected to a servo that's just opening and closing this latch. And uh, it's a great way to, you know, maybe engage museum goers or um, other people in a different way than what we've been doing. And it's absolute bleeding edge on the web. So really, really exciting and fun and fun to play with. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of the next level, right? Like so far, we've been playing around with things on our phones, and like we move this with our finger, and it moves something on the screen, and that's that's rewarding and fun and exciting. But uh, there's something else to be said about like you do something on your phone, and something in the real world is changing. I mean, the the the, the motto of the physical web is walk up and use anything. So I mean, how exciting is that, you know? And and I just noticed there's another beacon that's beckoning me. I'm gonna push that thing, and I'm gonna see what I can find. You know? <laughs> yeah. So very fun. Yeah, very cool. I've actually been noticing that beacon thing too, and I, I've never experienced this before, so that's that's new to me. So I'll probably be like following you around, like, where's that beacon? <laughs> cool. So, um, what are some other things that uh, you're excited about with uh, you know the the physical web? What, what are some of the future use cases that you can see for this type of platform? Well, I think people are using beacons a lot in retail right now. And um, as my colleague said, you know, the future is now and it's on sale. You know, <laughs> it's like, surely we can think of other things to do than pushing coupons at people. Um, you know, Retail Me Not does that perfectly well with just, you know, GPS. But um, it, it, I think it's um, a really great way. Um, they have beaconized the San Francisco airport. I don't know if you've noticed this. There are um, little beacons all over the place so that people with disabilities can be pinged. You're at gate X, you're at gate Y. You know, these kind of um, accessibility useful uses. Um, but I was just talking to someone in my, in my talk who um, is working in a library. Actually, two guys. One is from the New York Public Library and one was at Montana State. And they would like to have certain uh, beacons telling people of books that they want you to try or check out. Um, integrated into their rare books collection, um, all kinds of really interesting uses for beacons um, other than just selling people stuff, you know, which is basically where we're at right now. So let's face it. Um, but yeah, the I mean, the trick with doing any kind of installation in a cultural site is that museums are kind of conservative and nervous about this sort of thing. I had a really rough time. I begged and pleaded for um, anybody in Boston to let me install this box. But I, Wellesley College, you know, they bailed me out and let me get into the greenhouse so as far as I got. But that's that's the challenge. I, I think that's a challenge that we have with any new technology, right? Like the the self-driving car is going to have a huge challenge uh, to overcome with you know uh, with people's perceptions of what um, safety is and, and that kind of thing. And and I, I think that over time people will become more accepting of this idea of you know the the physical web and and see more use cases. And it's really exciting to me to see technology being used to make people's lives better rather than just you know spending more money wasting more time yeah and and yeah rather than just making people richer um or poorer for that matter <laughs> so um yeah that's really exciting to me is is there anything else uh, that you'd like to call out about um you know things that you're excited about or uh things about the physical web um not so much the physical web but can i do a little shout out for natives yes absolutely yeah please do so um, I'm here, I'm at the booth um, working um, with the Telerik folks, and um, we're advocating very strongly for people to try NativeScript. So if you go to nativescript.org, it's a free and open source um, project that allows you to use CSS, JavaScript, and XML to build um, truly native mobile apps. So if you want to give this a try, this is very, very fun. It's a kind of like rejuvenates your the fun of building a mobile app, you know? Now that I just talked about how we don't need mobile apps. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it's all exciting and, and advances and advancements in technology is always kind of fun and exciting. And you never know who's who could be watching this show and, and uh, they each of us have different interests 
um, and and we can all contribute to uh, to this these different movements in in uh, different ways. So uh, if somebody wants to get involved in the physical web, where do they get started? So. Um Physical Web is a project of uh, Google, of course, and um, they have their own website. You can just you can literally Google them, uh, Google the Physical Web, and you will find them. Um, it's an open source project as well, so I'm sure they're looking for contributions. They have a cookbook, um, but I actually was introduced to it a little bit more on my one of my favorite websites, which is Hackster.io. Um, I've I've post I have a website called ThingLearn, and I post all my hardware projects onto Hackster. Um, it's a great platform to really deal with the community. And the first physical web uh, project that someone built was um, a candy dispenser, of course. Oh, of yeah, course. so, you know, walk up and, you know, you get those Skittles. Awesome. So it was really fun. The only thing is, is, you know, somehow we have to enforce proximity because people from five miles away are opening these boxes, you know. <laughs> so that's the challenge of this sort of thing. Um, but yeah, visit, um, Google the physical web and um, take a look at Hackster.io. Um, Hackaday is another one. Lots and lots of people are experimenting and making fun things. Very cool. Thank you very much, Jen. Appreciate you coming on and showing us your cool little box. Thank you. We'll see ya. All right, next we have Max. Come on um, around here, Max. Thank you very much for uh, coming on the show. Now, I'm not sure how to pronounce your actual full name. Could you uh, pronounce it for us? Yeah, sure. We can do it in Spanish. It's Maximiliano. Maximiliano. Yeah, that's fine. Awesome. Max is fine. <laughs> okay, great. Thanks, Max. So um, why don't you give us a quick introduction to yourself, and then we can um, talk about uh, you had a two-day training, right? We can talk about that training a little bit and other things that are interesting to you. Sure. So I'm a web developer. I have been doing web development since 1995, a long time ago. And I have started with mobile in 2000. So long time ago also yeah. for the mobile space. And I have been doing the mobile apps using web technologies, also native technologies. And in the last few years, I'm more focused on uh, training and writing some books on the mobile web. I'm also doing consulting on that thing, right? So mobile web, that means also mobile apps using web technologies and those sort of things, performance also. And here I've been doing the two-day training on advanced mobile web. Very cool. So you, you've been doing this for an incredibly long time. And so before we get into what uh, your training was about, I'm actually really curious, what was developing like um, in for, the, for mobile back in 2000? What, what was that like? Well, uh, for just... Try to remember a mobile phone in 2000, right? So we're talking about black and white, text-only devices. So at that time, we were talking about WML. I'm not sure if you remember that, if you know what it is, really. Uh, so it was an XML subset. It wasn't really uh, HTML, but at least you have some similar tags, IMG, P, something like that, but not uh, BNG files. They were WBMP files. Black and white, my mm. fast. So that was uh, fun, right? And I was, you were browsing the web basically using dial-up. Mm, wow. So yeah, when you when you connect to the web, you were using dial-up. So we are basically uh, being charged by time. Mm. So it was funny. That is interesting. Uh, very interesting. So um, your your two-day training was, if I remember right, uh, advanced uh, mobile web, right, or something like that. Can you can you talk about what were some of the things that you covered in your training? Yeah, sure. So one of the things that usually happens with the mobile web, so let's first 
say that the mobile web uh, doesn't exist from a user's perspective, right? It's just the web. But from a developer's perspective, from a designer's point of view, we have some specific things to do, right? And some best practices, some things we need to understand that is different from, let's say, the classic web. Um, so usually I, I'm seeing a lot of uh, underestimation of the mobile web. Okay, well, it's the same thing, right? I can just resize Chrome and that's, it's the same. So no, first we analyze exactly how the mobile web looks like in terms of browsers. For example, we talk about the Samsung internet browser that is taking right now around 5% of the market. Wow. Uh, another browser like UC browser, right? Amazon Silk, browsers that you usually don't test on. Yeah. Also the old Android browser that is still here. Um, <laughs> Then we get into web views to understand how the web views world is today. Then some CSS and hacks that works directly on mobile. Some problems that we have with responsive web design. Some challenges, new challenges that we have. For example, on iPad, now you have side view and split view. So you can open a website on half an iPad. So have you ever tried your website on half an iPad? Right? Something <laughs> like that. Uh, then we get into uh, APIs, so hardware APIs, accelerometer, gyroscope, batteries, API, a lot of JavaScript APIs available, web Bluetooth, right? Also, we have covered something on the physical web that you were talking before. Um, and then um, the, the, the second day was basically about uh, the offline web. Uh, so we were covering their uh, application cache that is right now necessary for iOS. Um, then service workers, right, and the web push API. So you can provide these new progressive web apps or home screen web app. So uh, full screen experiences that you can install in your own uh, mobile device. Um, finishing the training, it was just about performance. So we were also talking about performance and why performance is so important in mobile, that performance has a direct impact in conversion, and that usually means money for someone, right? Um, and how to integrate your website with your app. So let's say that you have an app, an native app, and a website where there are now on iOS 9, Android 6, you have different ways to connect both. And you need to do that, right? To increase engage with your app and with your website. So it was a lot of um, topics and also fun. Yeah, that is a lot of topics. It seems like you covered pretty much everything. <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure there are like really specific things that you can't cover in a two-day training, but um, it seems like it was some really valuable stuff for your attendees. Um, yeah, several of those things. I'm like, I wish I was at that training right now. <laughs> so um, actually, I, I want to ask you a little bit about your experience as a trainer here at FluentConf. Um, let's let's assume right now that there are some people watching who are um, thinking about doing a workshop, or they you know they're not sure if they're good enough, or like you know if they have anything valuable to share. What would you say to those people um, who are considering maybe doing trainings? Well, first, that you need to do it right now, right? Go now and, and fill the next call for proposal. There is one for Amsterdam, by the way, in a few days. So um, so I have started uh, doing conferences like five years ago. And after that, I've been right now into in 50 different countries, right? Whoa. Doing trainings and conferences. So um, in fact, my first conference ever in the States was an O'Reilly one. That this was already was co-sponsoring. I think I think it was Inside Mobile 2009. Mm, wow. No, I know that 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 was my first um, talk in uh, in the states. So I have been doing other conferences in, in Latin America. By the way, I'm from Argentina. I'm based in Argentina. Um, so um, it's something that you can do, right? So anyone can uh, share the experience. Sometimes we think that everybody knows exactly what we know. And that's usually not the case. There are a lot of people out there that they don't have the same experience. And usually your experiencing can be very variable to, to others. 
Very wise words. Thank you. That was great. Um, Max, is there anything that you'd like to bring up before we uh, welcome our next guest? No, the only thing is just don't underestimate the mobile world. Okay, so it's not just Chrome in a very small window, right? There are a lot of things to understand, and that's uh, my only advice for now. Um, the other thing is that everything is going to change. That's the only thing that we know for sure on the mobile space, that everything is going to change, and we need to embrace the change. Okay, thank you. Yeah, if you don't embrace that change, you're going to be pretty miserable. Yeah, thank you very much, Max. Appreciate it. Next, we have Jen Kramer. Thank you very much, Jen, for coming on to the show. I really hey, appreciate it. Nice to see you. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Hey, everybody. <laughs> so, um, Jen, before we talk about what it is that you're talking about, um, I'd like to get a quick introduction to you. Could you uh, tell us about who you are, where you come from, and, and what you're interested in? Sure. So, uh, my name is Jen Kramer. I am a senior staff author at O'Reilly, and I am a lecturer at Harvard Extension School. I've been teaching website design and development for 15 years in an academic environment as well as in commercial environments. I do workshops, we do things online, et cetera, et cetera. And um, you know, back in the day, I freelanced and I had my own company and all the rest of it. But the last four years, I've just done teaching. It's been great. And previously, I was a lynda.com author. Wow. So teaching is kind of obviously a big part of who you are. Is what I do. Yeah, and you gave a two-day training here at Fluent about um, how to design. Uh, let's see, what was it called? Now, how to build a product? Is that <laughs> planning successful websites and apps? There we go. <laughs> with with the fabulous Heather O'Neill. <laughs> Very good. Can you give us a, a brief introduction to what your uh, topic was about and some of the things that you covered in the workshop? Sure. So the as 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 many of you developers may know. The fun part about thinking about a project is what kind of technology you're going to use to, to like start building it, right? So we say, we need a thing. And everybody goes, hey, cool, we can use this hot new framework and this other thing. And we're just like, it'll be awesome. And then, and then you actually get to content and you say, ha, huh, I wonder what we're actually going to say with this thing. So it's um, actually way better to start planning your website or application from the ground up. And there's actually a process and a procedure that you can use that will greatly enhance your possibility of being successful. Remember, like 60% of the apps in the app stores are never downloaded. That's a lot of money to spend to never download an app uh, and all that development time. And you did it because you never understood who you were building it for or why you were building it. Oh, wow. That, it sounds like having a process in, in place and like something that actually makes sense is pretty important <laughs> to developing yeah. applications. I would say so. Yeah. So um, can you talk about a, a little bit, just kind of an intro to what what is that process? Um, like, where do you start? And and because I know I'm a developer and, and often I'm exactly like you described. I'm just like, okay, cool. So now I can finally use GraphQL and React and like all this really cool, fun stuff. And I just jump right into that, but just like you described. So what, where is the right place to start? And, and um, how, how do you ensure that you're building the right thing for the right people? Sure. Well, it, you know, it kind of all depends. Are you, are you a freelancer? No, I, I work for PayPal. PayPal. All right. So, so freelancers, you may be doing this yourself, the entire process. If you're working for a larger company like PayPal, um, you may have a team of people that help you do this. But basically, what you want to do is, first of all, you want to understand your, your client or whoever it is that's asking you to build the thing. Mm. Okay, so you need to understand what the goals of the organization are, what the goals of the project is, and the goals of your users. You need to understand all three of those kinds of things um, so you can understand what people want to get out of it. And let me just tell you a story. Great. All right, so my very first web development project after I graduated with my master's degree was I built a website 
in, this is 2001, for a, a, a developer who lived where I lived in Southern Vermont. Southern Vermont has a rough median income of about $40,000. This guy was a developer. He had built a house worth $1.875 million. Wow. And it being 2001, the concept of putting real estate online was was fairly radically new kind of thing mm. to do. So um, I, where was his target market to purchase this house? It was not in Southern Vermont. So it was actually in Boston and New York City and Montreal and Albany and other various towns that are around that where people make lots of money and maybe they'd come for a vacation home or something. So his overall goal was to sell the house. Great. So we need to somehow reach the people who are going to be in these large cities. They are not in Southern Vermont. How can we do that? How about a website? Okay. But the purpose of the website is not to sell the house, right? It's to is anyone around, right? right? Is anyone going to make a one point eight seven five million dollar buying decision based on what a website says? Yeah, Highly unlikely. Certainly not even Bill Gates is going to do that. So <laughs> the point of the website is let's provide enough information to convince people to come up for the weekend and visit the house. Mm, and then, of course, from the user perspective, there's certain information that they need to make that decision. Mm. So bedrooms and bathrooms and you know the nuts and bolts about the house but also like what are the school districts like what's going on in the area what kind of activities are happening how far is the skiing from the house that kind mm. of thing so um, understanding those different perspectives and even the, that's a super simple example and feels like child's play in 2016 <laughs> it still um, really really demonstrates exactly what you need to know and it start at least start from building a successful application that's actually like you totally you, you're reading me like a book because I totally would have been like, yeah, I'm just going to try and convince people to buy this house on the website. Right. And so I, I think having a really good process and knowing the right uh, questions to ask is really valuable. So thank you for sharing that. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our um, our audience about anything else that you're interested in, really? Oh, well, um, normally I wind up talking a lot about uh, uh, responsive design and bootstrap and SAS and other various types of technologies and uh, you can follow me at O'Reilly and I have put out I'm starting to put out some weekly videos for O'Reilly that are covering various um, types of topics cool. I have four out right now that are about bootstrap four which of course is in alpha two <laughs> yay and it's like it was supposed to be out at the end of last year and we're still in the alpha stage uh, so it will be and when it when it does come out we'll put out a full video course on that if you like uh, the concept of how to plan successful websites and applications we are also putting a video course out on that with Heather and me we were in Sebastopol recording last week this week we ran the workshop we're gonna chop up um, some some interactivity with the students like doing various activities and interweave that into the video that we recorded last week so you can watch the the video as soon as it comes out thank you very much Jen I right. appreciate you coming on the show and uh, we'll see you around the rest of the conference yeah, thank, you. thank you and now we have Rachel Rachel Andrew right yeah. great thank you so much for coming on to the show Rachel really appreciate it so um, Rachel you have a lot of uh, tags on your yeah. uh, thing there more that I could potentially have put on here, but it was starting to get a bit silly. But yeah, yeah, I, I think I need a little bit more silliness personally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's going for the sort of full stack uh, tags thing. There. Very cool, very cool. So, uh, Rachel, why don't you give us a quick introduction to yourself, and then we can talk about uh, what you were talking about at the conference. Okay. Um, yeah. So I'm Rachel Andrew. I'm a web developer from the UK, and yeah, this is my second fluent. So I'm over here. Um, 
talking about uh, grid layout and, and other CSS layout things. Yeah, very cool. So you had um, a workshop or two-day class, and then you have a talk. You haven't given that talk yet, right? Yeah. So are you are you a little bit nervous about that talk? Um, well, it's a subject I've been talking about quite a bit over the the last couple of years. So um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Actually, uh, I think it, it'll be fun. A little background about um, what this uh, CSS grid layout thing is, and uh, especially for somebody like me who's more focused on the JavaScript side of things, um, but I do have to do CSS often, and and I actually with stuff like Flexbox, I'm actually really starting to enjoy it. <laughs> but maybe you can talk with us about uh, what the CSS grid layout is. Yeah, so really the layout methods that we've got at the moment, the things we've traditionally been using, so floats and positioning and all that stuff, they were never really designed to do full page layout. Mm. And that's really where all the problems that we have with layout come from. You know, we're trying to use floats and you have this issue, you, you try and float things, you float one thing left and one thing right, and you can't tell the right hand thing, it should be as tall as the left hand thing, mm, right. you know? Mm -hmm. So this sort of like equal height columns thing, and then a whole bunch of stuff, you can't align things, you can't do vertical alignment and yeah. <laughs> not not good. Yeah. And we've been doing this for years. We've been battling away with this stuff for years. And uh, so Flexbox really was the start of this kind of bringing in a new layout system for the web. And Grid is the other half of that. Because the thing with Flexbox, as anyone who's used it for a bit will realize, it's very good if you've just got a bunch of things in a line and you can wrap it and things. But then if you try and control things in two dimensions, it doesn't really work. Mm. And that's because it wasn't designed for that. It was designed <laughs> for the sort of small UI elements. And what CSS Grid Layout does is it's the other piece of that. It's more for those bigger structures, actually creating a two-dimensional grid and positioning your items in it. So between the two of them, with Flexbox and Grid, we're going to have a proper layout system for the web. And that's what's so exciting. And that's why I've been talking about it and trying to get people excited and looking at the spec and offering feedback to the working group to say you know, what they would like to see in a spec like that. Awesome. That's exciting. So it's um, based off of what you said, my assumption is that the spec is not actually finalized yet and it's uh, not actually implemented in browsers yet. Is that, is that true? Um, there, are, there are implementations. Um, so this spec actually came from Microsoft. So there's an early implementation in IE 10, 11, and Edge. But that's actually quite out of date now. It's uh, MS prefixed. Um, but it's an older version. Um, so the new spec is um, in uh, Blink. It's behind a flag. So it's one of these browser feature flags you have to toggle. You can also get to it in unprefixed in Firefox Nightlies. Um, also in WebKit, Nightly's prefixed. So there are actually, but probably the easiest way to play with it is to use um, Chrome and switch on the experimental web platform features flag, and then loads of stuff will just start working. You can play with it. I've got a lot of examples at a site called gridbyexample.com, which is where I've been putting all the little things I've been building. So you can toggle that flag, go and have a look, and actually play with it. Very cool. I, I think uh, it. Just like you said, it, it's pretty exciting because for years we've been hacking at these different things that were never designed to do what they're uh, they're doing these days. Um, so, what well, what are some of the things that we can do as a community to help, you know, um, the um, browser vendors and and the the specification and the working group to push uh, these things forward so that we can start using things the way that they were intended to be used. Well, actually have a look at it. Have a look at the spec and start to build things and think about how you would use Grid Layout to build the sort of sites that you are currently building, you know, maybe using Bootstrap or using some other framework or whatever. Um, think, can, does this work? And are there places where it isn't working very well? And if that's happening, you know, 
offer that feedback to the to the working groups and write about it. Just show if if there are sort of CSS specs, there's loads and loads of new specs kind of floating around. Um, some of which aren't, you know, don't have a lot of implementations. If you think they're important, write about them because that's the only way they're going to get out there into the world is if, you know, if browser vendors see that people are demanding a certain spec um, is implemented, then they're going to look at it and think, well, maybe it's, it's worth putting the work in to implement it. But if there are no signals from the community, if it doesn't look like we're interested, then, you know, we'll not get that stuff. So would you say that's why you're giving these trainings? Great. Very good. So um, one last question, then and I'll, I'll let you say whatever it is that you want. Um, so um, you're a trainer and a speaker here at Fluent. Um, what are some of the things that the Fluent Conf organizers do to enhance your experience? Oh, actually, loads of things. It's been a really nice conf. I think I felt very looked after as a speaker coming in from you know another country. Um, you know, things like I just mentioned in the Slack that uh, there are a bunch of things I'm allergic to that I can't eat, and they've sorted me out special meals at lunchtime. So, which is great because otherwise, what happens is I have to go out and find something, and then I don't sit at the table and chat to people. Right. right? So it's it's like a social thing, isn't it? You know, I don't mind going and finding something else to eat, but then you miss out on the the interaction, especially on workshop days sure. when you've only got an hour. Um, so it's stuff like that. I feel like they've actually looked after speakers very well, which is is really nice. And yeah, I mean that that happens at a lot of conferences, and it? it's great when that happens. Yeah. Great, thank you so much, Rachel. So before we say goodbye, I'd like to invite you to say whatever it is that you'd like to say. Is there anything else that you're really interested in, or any plugs that you want to make? Uh, well, really, just go and have a look at my grid examples at gridbyexample.com. Play around with them. And if you've got any questions or if there's anything that you try and build, you don't think you can build, um, you know, let me know. I will be very happy to play around with it and try and do that. Very cool. Thank you so much, Rachel. I appreciate uh, you coming on to the show. And I'll see you around the conference. Yes, Thank you. Uh, so that's our show. Uh, JavaScript Air um, is a wrap here at uh, FluentConf. So I'll just close out with a couple of things. First, our sponsors, our silver sponsors. We have uh, FluentConf actually is a sponsor. So thanks, FluentConf, uh, for sponsoring the show. And um, Auth0 is also a sponsor. They uh, do super simple authentication for us developers. Thank you, Auth0. Um, and so with that, I think I'll just uh, wrap us up with a couple of uh, announcements and, and general things. So remember, if you have any suggestions for the show, for um, the guests or the type of topics that you'd like us to explore, go to suggest.javascriptair.com. Um, and if you have feedback for this show or any other um, past show that we've had or, or the show in general, go to feedback.javascriptair.com and uh, you can uh, submit feedback there. And then again, if you want to sign up for the newsletter, uh, just like Peter said, uh, that URL is not javascriptweekly.com, but it's jsair.io slash email. And uh, with that, I think we're uh, good to wrap things up. Thanks, everybody, for watching. And uh, we'll catch you next week on our end-to-end uh, -end testing show. Thank you. Goodbye.